a focus summary of chapters 35 and 36 of Pride and Prejudice. When Elizabeth awakens the next morning, she still has not recovered from the surprise of Mr. Darcy's proposal. She decides to go for a walk and get fresh air, but wishing to avoid Mr. Darcy, she chooses a different path than her usual one. Nevertheless, as she passes the gate to the park, she sees in the distance Mr. Darcy himself, who steps toward her eagerly and calls out her name. When he reaches her, he hands her a letter, and in a haughty tone asks her to do him the honor of reading it. Then he bows to her and walks away. Overwhelmed with curiosity, Elizabeth opens the long letter, dated that morning, and begins to read. He begins by reassuring her that he will make no renewal of the sentiments that disgusted her the day before, and says he has only written because justice to his character demands it. He wishes to address the two charges against him, that he detached Bingley from her sister, and that he blasted the prospects of Mr. Wickham. He apologizes in advance if, in making his explanations, the feelings he must express offend hers. First, he addresses the matter of Bingley and Jane. He says that once he discovered that Bingley's attentions had given rise to a general expectation of his marriage to Jane, he began to study them both. Bingley's behavior suggested that his partiality to Jane was indeed beyond anything Darcy had ever witnessed but Jane's suggested to him that the sentiment was not returned. He admits that he may have been misled, but he regards his conclusion as a very reasonable one given the evidence available to him. And in any case, there were other causes for his repugnance, which, though it pains him to offend Elizabeth, must be said. The impropriety displayed by their mother, their youngest sisters, and their father— induced him to preserve his friend from so unhappy a connection. He says he soon discovered that Bingley's sisters shared his desire to detach Bingley from Jane. So they followed him to London, where Darcy pointed out to him the evils of such a choice. He says that Bingley might have persisted in his intentions if Darcy had not succeeded also in persuading him of Jane's indifference. He says he is ashamed of only one thing— that he did, as Elizabeth suspected, conceal from Bingley the fact of Jane's being in town. This disguise, he says, was beneath him, but it was done for the best. Otherwise, he makes no apologies, since if he wounded Jane, he did so unknowingly, and if his motives were insufficient, he is not able to see that for himself. He then addresses the weightier accusation regarding his conduct with Wickham. Wickham's father, he tells her, was a respectable man who managed the Pemberley estates, and in gratitude for his good conduct, Darcy's father was very generous with George Wickham, who was his godson. The late Mr. Darcy had a high opinion of Wickham, and hoping the church would be his profession, intended to provide for him in it. Darcy, on the other hand, having opportunity to observe his vicious and unprincipled behavior close up, formed a much more unfavorable judgment. After Darcy and Wickham's fathers had both died, Wickham wrote to inform Darcy that he had resolved against taking orders, but that he thought it reasonable to expect support nonetheless. Darcy gave him an interest of a thousand pounds to pursue the study of law, and gave him three thousand pounds to resign all claims to a position in the church. As Darcy had come to expect, 
Wickham lived the following few years in idleness and dissipation, and then, when his money was all used up, returned to say he had resolved on being ordained and renewed his demand for the promised living. Darcy refused to comply with his entreaty, and Wickham was bitterly resentful. All contact between them came to an end. Darcy then confesses a circumstance he says he would not wish to unfold to anyone. A year prior, when Darcy's sister Georgiana was just fifteen, Wickham had connived his way into contact with her, taken advantage of her affectionate heart, and persuaded her into an elopement. He had his sights set on Georgiana's fortune and on revenge, but thankfully she told Darcy in time for him to put a stop to it before they were publicly exposed. Darcy closes his letter by saying everything he has told Elizabeth is the truth, and acknowledging it is no wonder she was deceived, since she had no way of knowing otherwise. He tells her that if she is at all in doubt, she can appeal to Colonel Fitzwilliam for confirmation. He adds only, God bless you, and signs his name. Elizabeth opens Mr. Darcy's letter with no idea what to expect. She reads it eagerly, but with a strong prejudice against everything he might say, and its contents excite in her a contrariety of emotions. She dismisses his account of the matter regarding her sister as false, offensive, haughty, and insufficiently apologetic. But when he comes to Wickham, she is struck with a sense of astonishment and horror. She tries to persuade herself that there is no merit to his story, and then she puts the letter away, protesting that she will never look at it again. But half a minute later, she produces the letter again, and makes herself examine the meaning of every sentence. It is clear that one or the other of them is guilty of a gross duplicity, and while she flatters herself that she was right in her original opinion, close attention to the particulars forces her to hesitate. She realizes she knows nothing about Wickham's early life but what he told her himself, so she can prove no injustice in the charges Darcy has made against him. She realizes, too, that it was only his manners that gained him regard, and she cannot call to mind a single act of goodness to his credit. She only doubts her judgment more when she is referred to Colonel Fitzwilliam for corroboration of Darcy's story, since she has no reason to question his character. Recalling the details of her conversation with Wickham, she is struck by the impropriety of such communications and by the inconsistency in his claims. He boasted that he had no fear of seeing Darcy, and yet avoided the Netherfield Ball the next week. He claimed his devotion to the late Mr. Darcy prevented his exposing the sun, but when Darcy was removed from town, he showed no scruples in sinking his character. From his attentions to Miss King, to his interest in herself, all his behavior now appears in a different light, and every lingering struggle in his favor grows fainter. She reflects that just as Wickham had only his pleasant manners and no acts of goodness to recommend him, it is only Darcy's ill manners that had repulsed her and nothing he had ever done that was unprincipled or unjust. She grows ashamed of herself, thinking she had been blind, partial, prejudiced, and absurd. Upon coming to this conclusion, she goes back to peruse again his explanation in regard to Jane— unable to deny credit to his assertions in the one case when she was obliged to give it in the other.
she finds she cannot deny the justice of his description of Jane, and that the mortifying description of her family's behavior has merit. The thought that Jane's disappointment had been the fault of her nearest relations depresses her beyond anything she had ever known. At length, she returns home, resolving to appear cheerful and to repress these troubling reflections. She is told that Mr. Darcy and Colonel Fitzwilliam had called during her absence, the latter waiting at least an hour for her return. She can barely feign her disappointment in missing him. Really, she rejoices at it.